This week's guest is Ben Rhodes. He's fresh off his second NASCAR Truck Series championship, his second time getting pretty drunk before the press conference. So go YouTube those, uh, those clips. They're very entertaining. He's a super articulate guy, hardworking, family man. We have, a, we have a really candid conversation about what it's like uh, conceptualizing and building a career uh, with your family and, and kind of the growing pains that go along with that and, and the unknown of, uh, you know, every year if, you're, if your career is going to continue. So stick around to the end of this episode. After we're officially off air, we continue to chat and have a really good conversation. Uh, he was kind enough to let me leave that in. So uh, after we say our goodbyes, stick around and, uh, and give, that a, uh, give that a listen. Enjoy. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. And uh, you've had some cool guests, so I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, right on. So, you're, dude, you're fresh off a championship. That's two, two now for you. Yeah, I don't feel fresh. I, I, I went a little hard afterwards. I might need to calm down after these things. Um, but you know how it is. When you win one, you don't know when the next one's going to be. I, I try to really enjoy it and just enjoy the time and, you know, just celebrate properly, meaning that I'm there with my friends, my family, my crew. You can, it'd be really easy to kind of get really boring really quickly with all the stuff that's lined up after the championship. So when you win one of these suckers, I didn't know how much work was involved. So they keep you at the track to like two in the morning. That's like wow. you know, West Coast time um, to, to, to go through interviews and photos and, and just, yeah, meeting with fans. And um, it's kind of like event after event after event. They put you on a golf cart and they just kind of prayed you around. So, you know, it'd be really easy after, you know, one in the morning, you're still in your soaked fire suit, soaked shoes, and it's getting cold out because it's the desert. It'd be really easy to start uh, being like, all right, guys, kind of want to leave here. So, no, I bring the party to them and they just have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you'll uh, you no regrets from any of that, eh? Like uh, I remember your I guess twenty one championship. Yeah. Like I think those clips went viral where you were drinking a bunch of Bud Lights and yeah. um, you were getting a little bit lippy with everyone, and and I think it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I thought I was going to be in trouble with that, and then nobody really, nobody said anything. Nobody really was saying anything of substance that would have like made me not want to do it again. I had a great time, so. Uh, in fact, even the folks at NASCAR are like, hey, are we going to see round two? You know, like they were totally supportive of it. So I'm like, you know what? If they're good with me having a good time, I know our team loves it. We're kind of like Thor Sport Racing, who I race for. I mean, they're all about being the, um, you know, uncorporate, un-PC. We're a real race team, family values. We they, they value drivers that can drive, not the ones that are – you know, corporate and they're here because they have a social following. That's historically what they've been. And they've been around for almost 30 years. So they're not based on that. So I had the full blessing of the race team to, to be myself. And yeah, I had a great time. I probably should maybe tone it back a bit. I had a little more pushback this year. I think Pete Bastone and a few others were like telling me I was embarrassing and cringeworthy because I, I may have accidentally burped into the microphone, which fair enough. Okay. That was totally, that I, I was embarrassed for myself when that happened. Um, so fair enough on that. Uh, and then I had a bet with Chase Cabry, who is, uh, well, 
he's a racer in his own right. But for those that yep. don't know, that don't follow the short track scene as much, he's everybody knows Haley Deegan. He's the fiance of Haley Deegan. He produces all of her videos. He does all her, his the merch. Really good designer. Just a stud on and off the track, really. And so he made me a bet. He said, I heard you won't say dinosaurs aren't real. Do you win this thing? I said, bet and deal. Here we go. So somehow I remembered it and, you know. That's great. Yeah, that's but apparently great. it was also cringeworthy. So whatever, it was a bet. I made a deal. I honored it. <laughs> right on. So no, no regrets from any of that. I mean, you know, so often uh, you're out drinking or whatever, and you wake up the next morning and go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. But you think the 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 positives outweigh the the negatives? Well, I never really said anything to get myself in trouble. I also like, I don't think I think I even really cussed or did anything like that. Like I didn't even say any bad words. The only thing I regret is when I went to the barn, I was in, I was, <laughs> so, you know, there's a quote, I think it's the trailer park voice. Uh, what is it? Jim Leahy. Is that how they say his name? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He says he's got a breathalyzer. He says, I'm, <laughs> I'm sober enough to yeah. know what I'm doing, but I'm drunk enough to really enjoy it. And I was right there in the slot. Okay. At the press conference. But then they took me to the barn and Jeff Gordon, or maybe it's the track president. They hand me this, this cup. It's like a souvenir cup. And they said, this is an old fashioned. Well, I, I kid you not, that was like straight up bourbon. So whoever made that, you know, congrats. I down the whole thing. I'm there with Jeff. I'm, I down the whole sucker right there on stage. Well, after that, that's when things got a little funky. So, um, yeah, if I regret anything, it was downing that cup of bourbon that was handed to me because after that I was, I had to go do the Fox interviews where they sit you down on the front stretch and it's supposed to be like really serious interviews. And I was just trying not to like bomb it at that point. So, so True. Oh, bad. I, I was telling them, I'm like, guys, we might have to take a break here. Like, let's just tie him out. Uh, I was, I was not in good shape at that point. So yeah, that, that is my regret. And that stuck with me all through the night until the morning. I think I slept three hours that night. If you want to call it that I'm up at 6am their time. I got to the hotel at 3am their time so that was rough i would not have done that extra cup that's the regret no doubt yeah that's good that's good well you got away scot-free then yeah <laughs> for the most part <laughs> right when you uh when you win one of these championships um you know it might affect some people and it'll affect everyone in a different way you know you, you work all year with this goal in mind and then it finally happens how do you kind of either keep the momentum going or just not allow yourself to, you know, sink down low afterwards because it's such a high? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I don't think a lot of people talk about that in the sports world, especially depending on what your like natural, you know, uh, what they call it, disposition. Dis yeah, exactly. Is. So, you know, I... I found that actually to be really easy to be the case, especially a high adrenaline sport like what we do, where you go from the highest of highs, and then the next thing you're back at the shop, the normal day work. And then um, I kind of find that I have a good support system. And then also spending as little time on social media as I can, because everybody, you'll always have the trolls and you'll always have negativity and haters. Uh, I, I told Duke, the team owner, Duke Thorson, I said, hey, 
you know, I think I'm going to delete Twitter because I was reading a few different comments about people that, uh, you know, they were just hating on me for being me and being probably, look, I was probably not as formal as I probably should have been. Okay. But I was celebrating it. I was having my fun and I was being personal. And a lot of people complain that there's not enough personality in the sport, but the minute that you show any of who you are and you're just trying to be fun and enjoy this accomplishment, people want to hate on you for it. So, uh, I told him, I was like, I'm going to write, on Twitter, I said, I'm going to, I'm the champ and then just delete it. <laughs> nice. You got to live, live with it. A lot of people were hating because the way the race went down, but you know, the way I look at it is if you make it to the championship four and modern NASCAR, look, we don't make the rules. The rules are, if you make it to the championship four, you have a chance of winning the championship. So making it there feels like you kind of won one already. It's really hard mm. to do. So we made it there and we won the championship and sure, Corey Heim had a really good season. He was consistent all year. Sure, he had a truck that was probably faster than us, or I would say is faster than us at that race. We all have 150 laps. We all have the same trucks, I mean, apart from setup and all that jazz. Um, and you got to make it to the end. So we all have the same opportunities. It's just getting there. So I think um, it's easy to sink down low when you read social media and you're on that stuff and you're kind of, you put yourself into a toxic environment. But what I try to do now more than ever is I put the phone down at a certain point at night. I go play with my kid, have dinner with my wife and my baby, and life is good at that point. I got nothing to complain about. We say our prayers before bed, and um, we're happy. So, you know, I look at it as a big blessing to do what we do, right? I mean, I, I have friends that work real jobs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've worked my fair share of real jobs, too, and I'm really grateful to be doing this. So, um I think if you keep that perspective, it's easy to, to stay happy and grateful. Yeah, for sure. You can always find a million things that you, you know, don't have or want, but yeah, gratitude is definitely the, the medicine there. Yeah. If you don't, um, your yeah, life gets ugly real quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're a, you're a pretty private guy on social media. I didn't realize you had a kid. Yeah. I got another one on the way too, actually. Uh, I stay pretty private on social. I think everybody's had their, if you're in the spotlight, I think everybody's had their fair share of um, weird things that can occur um, from individuals who pop up. Uh, so I, I stay private for that reason. And of course, you know, my kids never would have signed up for this. So I want them to have a normal childhood as much as possible. Um, you know, I even was at one point, I was like telling my wife, you know, you really don't need to go to the track and be in photos and all that stuff. Just do you. I was very much Carl Edwards-ish. Um, yeah. which, you know, you never knew or saw his family, wife, kids at the track. And, um, it's kind of becoming that way now, just out of necessity because I live in Kentucky, um, or that Kentucky area. And, um, we don't live in North Carolina where everybody's on those charter flights. So, you know, you can, if you're in North Carolina, you're in Charlotte area, you hop on the charter flight, you're at the racetrack the day of practice, you practice qualify. It's a one day show. You're back home that night. No, my travel's three days at the minimum because I got to fly out the day before. I fly out the night after or the, the morning after. And it's just really hard with a kid and a baby, uh, a wife who's pregnant. So uh, they stay back and it's kind of just that way out of necessity now, which is which is fine by me. I, I go there and I, I'm there for business and um, I, I kind of am not the same family guy. So <laughs> you guys probably stay back. Let me do my thing and I'll be back in a day or two, three days. and Me just fine. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I I kind of feel the same way. It's like last race at Mosport, 
it's like why why don't you just stay home like uh with with the kids like it's you know he he doesn't really know what's going on anyways and uh you know i'm yeah i'm probably not the uh <laughs> the most attentive guy at the racetrack let's say 100 percent. i go into my zone i don't know they're there um you know and and i do better like when i know they're at home safe if i'm my wife's flying that day then i'm worried about her um so I, I just do better when I know they're home safe and they can watch on TV. Um, it, it, and I struggle with that because she really wants to go. Like for the championship race, for example, she wanted to go so bad, so, so bad. And I just had zero interest in it. I'm like, well, you know, I wasn't hearing it. And same thing with my family. My mom and dad wanted to go. My in-laws wanted to go. Everybody wants to come out now to the race and they've never been on here. I'm like it's just another race. And to me, it was. I get we could have a championship and you guys want to be part of the big celebration, yada, yada, yada. But to me, it's another race. I plan on doing this if, you know, God willing for, uh, well, if I could, another 20 years would be awesome. <laughs> It'd be a nice long career. But, um, you know, I, I I hope I can win more championships between here and there. And it should just become a normal thing is my philosophy. So I wasn't putting any extra stock into it. So. When they all get excited, I really don't lean into that at all. I kind of pull back and go the other way. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So let's uh, let's go back to, I guess, your childhood. I want to do this with kind of most of my racers because oh. everyone comes up a different way, starts in a different, um, you know, different discipline. What, paint a picture, I guess, your childhood, what it was like, you know, what your parents, what your dad did for a living. What was it like? You grew up in Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in Kentucky, and as everybody knows, your your dad's sister is also your mom. Um, of course, yeah. of course, we don't have that up here, but yeah, you don't. Of course, uh, no, uh, I get, <laughs> I gotta stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta stop doing that. I always could just be cousin. Could be cousin. Could be cousin. Could be cousin. No, it's funny with racing. Everybody's from North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, or whatever. So we always. You know, and the stereotype with NASCAR is, oh, you're just a bunch of dumb rednecks or whatever to the people that don't know NASCAR, which I think NASCAR's totally flipped that script since the 2000s and the 90s, which is awesome. Uh, but I still remember going to school and people would be trying to make jokes about NASCAR. I'm like, you do realize there's jokes about Kentucky. We all live here together. We may be in the biggest city, but you're no more redneck than me. Uh, so anyways, I had, to, I had to do it. Uh, so no, I, I grew up in Kentucky. My... Um, mom and dad my mom was a realtor who uh kind of stopped doing that she did it kind of on the side with my brother and my sister myself i'm a middle child older brother younger sister and once they had us um she still showed houses but it just wasn't in the volume that she did before we were around uh, and then my dad uh went to vocational school in high school and learned to become a, a, a mechanical service contractor so he was hvac chillers you know, different equipment like that. Um, got out of high school, worked at Wendy's as a maintenance guy who traveled around, you know, fixing their freezers and their air conditioning and chillers and ice machines, all that stuff. Uh, eventually, he worked for some of the bigger companies and then started his own right about the time I was born uh, by just himself. Like, so it would be him answering phones and he was out doing his thing. And uh, they bought a trailer on a gravel lot. I remember I was in a, uh, my little playpen, <laughs> the gravel lot in this little trailer. And that was the office space. Uh, then they eventually got a Kwanzaa hut and the Kwanzaa huts where they kept all their parts and equipment and their trucks and, 
and stuff. And then they got another trailer and another trailer. Eventually got like three trailers on that little gravel lot. And uh, they kind of was growing it from there. And I would say now it's like 2004, 2005. Um, business has been steady enough to allow us to kind of go and race. And so they bought some go-karts. Uh, they had a friend who raced carts and they just bought it and it sat in the garage for like a couple of years. And at this time we grew up on about five acres. So we had like a dirt track in the backyard. Uh, my dad was a car guy. He never even knew about anything about racing, never watched NASCAR in his life, nothing about any car, nothing. Um, so he just liked cars and go-karts. So I think he had on, I had me in my first four wheeler when I was three. Uh, so it was like a 50 CC and he had the little pull chain behind it. So he'd run behind me and yank the chain if I was about to wreck. Um, and that was kind of the start was there. And I ran those four wheelers and go-karts and yard carts and dirt bikes around the house on little tracks that we made until I was about seven. And then he took us to watch some go-kart races. We watched them. Said, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to do it. My brother does it first for about two or three weeks. And then they went to the local, you know, uh, like cart club where they had like mm -hmm. carts for sale and they bought, uh, it was a purple number four. I think it was the cheapest cart that they had there. <laughs> and that was my number. That was the body. I always had four since then. And we went to the local, the local racetrack. I was terrible. Um, the, I think I got lapped three or four times. The leader, uh, ran over me coming across the line. So it was carts on my back, you know, the nose is on my head. I'm just like going yep. across the line like this. And I'm like seven, I think, at this point. So I'm just bawling. You know, my shoulder's all bruised up. I had like, you know, these abrasions here. You know, I'm freaked out. and I'm just bawling. And my dad's like, you know, we don't have to do this. You don't want to. <laughs> and I, it was a trap. I knew my dad well enough at seven years old that that was 100% a trap. Um, so, you know, I didn't tell him that I didn't want to, even though I obviously didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, but I was scared to tell him that, no. I didn't want to. He just bought this go-kart. I knew I was in for a butt whooping. So, so, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. Yeah, absolutely. So we start racing some more. And sure enough, we get a little better, get a little better. And I think the next year, at the end of the year, I finally win my first race. Uh, and that actually, that actually spurred. I was terrible the whole time until I got wrecked. Somebody wrecked me intentionally, I guess, because I was just slowing in the way. So, and it hurt too. I remember being all bruised up. The, the, uh, nerf bar and body was bent into the motor. It was hitting the flywheel. So it was making this horrible sound. And, um, I was so mad that I got wrecked on purpose. I told them to fix the cart. They bent it out. I go back out there and now I'm driving with a mission and I pack mm. all the way up back up to the guy. So it wasn't the cart. It was me. I was terrible. We pass all the way back up to the guy that wrecked me and I didn't even wreck him. I, I, passed him and uh i think i would have finished third in that race and that was like the moment that the switch was flipped and then we went out and started competing after that and won race uh, races very shortly after so um that was and those are uh dirt oval dirt oval yeah dirt oval okay yeah yeah because yeah. everyone says go-karts and yeah there's a bunch of different bunch of different stuff hey it's lucky uh, man dirt oval four cycles you guys aren't you guys aren't racing rotax on a uh, on a road course there no, no. Very few of those racetracks where we're at. It's all four cycle dirt stuff. And uh, we, my first race ever was on asphalt, but after that it was all dirt for at least two or three years. So then how did the progression happen? Did, was it just you or was it, you know, your other siblings as well, where it was like, okay, you know, let's keep going here. Yeah. So my brother started first. I followed. Um, eventually my sister joined in. 
and we were all racing carts and we go to the WKA asphalt races. We did those nationals. We would go, we had like wherever the big money races were, I think they were junior Kahuna out in Kansas. They had, we went to that one in Florida. We went to Tunica and Batesville, which is like the world's largest indoor cart race every year for Thanksgiving. So for like seven or eight years, we never celebrated Thanksgiving at home. It was, <laughs> we were the first 500 to enter the gates and you got a free catfish dinner. And that was our nice. Thanksgiving. And we're there for a week racing carts. It was awesome. It was the best memories that we have as a family together. We did it every single year. And every year we got a little bit bigger. We started out with, you know, basically nothing. And then by the seventh or eighth year, we've got like seven go-karts there. We're racing like 11 classes between me and all my siblings. I would just get out and we'd hop in the next one. My brother, my dad would take it back to the tent. My mom would be, you know, prepping and scraping tires and changing gears. And, you know, my mom was as much of a mechanic as anybody. Uh, she was, she was wheeling and dealing when it came to prep and tires. She actually went to the hospital that year, the last year, because we were hot boxing tires and doing all these things and poor <laughs> ventilation. And, oh yeah, she got gassed out by all the fumes. Yeah, it was really bad. Actually. I was so worried. Mom goes to the hospital and she's also the team chef. My dad's scaling them all out and setting them up and doing the crew chief duties. My mom's a mechanic, uh, tire specialist. So. It was crazy, man. We had a lot of fun doing that. I had a lot of fun. And then eventually my sister ended up getting hurt racing go-karts. And we were in Chapel Hill, New York. She's racing kid karts, so she's little. Um, you know, not even really competing. The other parents took it really seriously for the kid karts. I mean, the most cheated up engines, like just terrible, you know. And my sister just, I mean, she's just making laps. Somebody spins out. And the corner worker pushed that go-kart head on back onto the track right in front of my sister. And she's four or five. So she hits that go-kart head on and she ramps up the steering shaft and um, she ends up flipping and landing on herself. And uh, they ended up stat fighting her out of that hospital to, I think, Buffalo. So they wouldn't, my sister's four or five at this point. So they put her on the helicopter and then my mom they said there was no room for anybody to go on the helicopter but my sister. So who weighs, I don't know, what, 30, 40 pounds at this point? 40 pounds probably? And my mom's tiny. She's like 100 pounds. I'm like, there's no room from – that makes one average adult to have both. Yeah. So they wouldn't let her on. So she had to hitch a ride with a stranger uh, at the racetrack for two hours down the road to go to the hospital to try to meet my sister there who's been there for, you know, an hour and a half at this point getting treated. Uh, I was also racing for two championships at that point. I was leading the points, and that was the final race of the season. And uh, we ended up losing both championships because we kind of, like, quit working on the cards. So I just showed up for the next race, and we, you know, didn't perform. Uh, but lo and behold, she was okay, just major road rash and then burns. Uh, they thought she – yeah, they called the sta they called the helicopter, actually, which was over the, the hills on – you know, over the hills somewhere close by doing training exercises – and they called it over because the paramedics at the track said she had a broken rib and a punctured lung and she had all this stuff. So they're calling the helicopter and she gets there and all she's got is this road rash and these burns. And look, that's no joke. I get that. But, you know, I think a normal ambulance would have sufficed. Um, so the paramedics, yeah. they, I guess they were just being extra careful. But yeah, that's a day we won't forget. So my mom, they didn't have clothes for because they cut the clothes off my sister. So she's wearing just like lost and found clothes at the hospital, you know, hitching a ride back with we don't even know who. And this is the age when cell phones really weren't that good. 
you know, it was just your, your little flip phone, like your Nextel chirp push to talk stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like we had GPS to the hospital. It's not like it's find my iPhone, find my mom, where's she at? You know, we couldn't track them. So it was uh, definitely nerve wracking. So she ended, she stopped right then and there. That was it for her. She tried to get back in a go-kart and it just, it just didn't work. Um, my brother and I kept racing though from that point until Legend Cars. So we went go-karts to Bandoleros and then Bandoleros to Legend Cars. And then Legend Cars at that point was my brother's last step on the ladder that he took. And then I went from Legend Cars to late model stocks, Arca, which was K&N at the time. So I, I made I made full season of K&N and then just a couple races in Arca. And then from there, went to the Xfinity Series with Junior Motorsports for 10 races. And then I've been in the Truck Series at Thor Sport Racing now ever since. Right on. How did, how did that, um, I guess, family conversation happen? Uh, or how did you guys start to kind of conceptualize a potential career where it was like, okay, you know, Ben's good. He wants to do this. And now we're going to go spend some real money and go real racing. Yeah, that's the tough part, right? Because if I could have talked to my parents now at my age, just as a functioning adult, I would have told them they're crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah. how dare you listen to your seven-year-old kid that he wanted to follow this dream and, you know, race for a living. Yeah, I would have told them they're crazy. Um, but I'm really glad they, you know, helped me pursue my dream because I'm, I'm where I'm at now. But, you know, honestly, I find so not to change this, the subject here, I find so much peace in my personal life that even if I went to a different route, if I could still have the same personal life that I have now with my wife and my baby and everything we do with family, I still think I could be at peace just being a service technician, which is what I was going to set out to be. So mm. going back to your question, um, when I was like eight or nine, at this point, I've been racing for like a year or two. Um, you know, I, at that point, I was like, all right, I want to be a NASCAR driver, you know, not IndyCar, not Formula One, even though I was actually more naturally drawn to IndyCar uh, and open wheel cars. I was so interested as that as a kid. I just found like NASCAR, I don't know, there's just something about NASCAR that felt right to me where IndyCar was cool, but it was foreign, even though I really, really liked it. Um, so I just, I told everybody I knew that's what I wanted to do. And my parents were good with doing it as long as they could, because we as a family were having so much fun. And it wasn't like that, you know, my brother, my sister, and myself were all going and playing like travel ball somewhere else, you know, playing a different sport away from the family. No, we all loaded up in an RV with the dogs and we would go, you know, camp at a racetrack for three, four days, five days a week in some cases. And that's what we did as a family. And we had all of our meals together. We competed. We all had the same goal together. I just think that is so incredibly wholesome. Eventually, when my sister quit racing, she started playing travel ball. And it's like, well, there goes mom and Alexis. That's my sister's name. Uh, there goes mom and Alexis for a few days. Bye. We won't, we won't see you. But when we were racing, we were all together the whole time. And it was the best family time. And we did it all the time, too. It wasn't like we only did this once or twice a year. No, it was nonstop. I mean, I was constantly out of school on Thursdays and Fridays, you know, and I, I, it's not like I was learning anything in school that would have been a better value than how to turn a wrench, you know, how to work mm -hmm. on go-karts, how motors worked. You know, my we weren't building our own motors at that time, but we had old ones that my dad and I would tear apart and he would teach me, you know, how a four-cycle engine operated, how a two-cycle would work, what all the components were, how these clutches work, you know, gearing and, and, and just 
there's a lot that goes into that, that I think a child that just plays sports, um, you know, and, and goes to school doesn't get. So I'm extremely grateful for those opportunities. So the, the thought process was really that we're having a good time. We're doing stuff as a family. Let's just see where this goes. And eventually it got to a point where I'm like, you know, 13, 14 and legend cars at this point, we're spending decent money now because legend cars aren't cheap. And I'm old enough to kind of understand, I understand the value of a dollar, but not like an adult does, right? Like you're still a kid. So they asked me, hey, you want to race? Well, of course I want to race, you know, but this is like the next step is late models. And this is getting into full size stock cars and real motors. And it's, it turns into the real deal at that point. So um, yeah, I got crazy real quick. And that's where things eventually got strained, right? Where you know, now my brother's not doing it. It's just me. We're trying to make a go at it. My parents had talked to everybody they knew that was in racing that was around us in my formative years. You know, do you, do you actually think he has the talent to do this? Do you think he even has the ability or the focus or the concentration? You know, hey, you've worked with a bunch of different kids that are now racing in higher ranks. You know, what's what's your take on, on my son, they would say. And um, that was, I think, one of the more... Um, valid reasons that they they pursued it is because they had people around me that worked with others that said hey we think he's good enough to do it um but obviously good enough and having the focus and and you know having the ability and the opportunities is told two totally different things so um yeah i got serious real quick yeah yeah and uh, looking back through your bio there like you you know you you do your late model stuff um then you guys run the K&N series and you, you dominate in 2015, right? Like you uh, win like 14. 14, 14, sorry. Yeah. Win like four or five races in a row. How do you then conceptualize your career? Like, okay, like, you know, you win the championship. Are you like, come and come and sign me? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, no, that was a good wake up call actually. So even leading up to that, we were in legend cars and, uh, it was 2011. I think we won 43 out of 60 races that year. It was the most wins out of, I think, worldwide, internationally that year. And it was good for us. It kind of helped um, kind of helped introduce us to some late model teams. And that was a wake-up call for me, actually, starting back at that point, because we go from winning all these races to late models now, where I'm racing against adults. There's no age classes. There's no experience classes. I'm racing full-size stock cars at adult, you know, adults that had been racing at this track for generations, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and we're doing it now with real people. It's not just myself. It's not just one other person that, you know, uh, we're having help prepare the race cars. Um, it's, it's a real team at this point and real sponsorship dollars and it's becoming real. And I'm still 14 at the time I made my first late model start. So that was a real kick in the pants because, <laughs> because I was, I would go from like winning to like basically sucking uh, again, like having to figure out what it means to pace yourself. These are long races now. Physically, I'm not holding up well because it's hot. It's long races. I'm 14. I got little noodle arms. I still got noodle arms, but they were really small then. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was kicking my butt in a lot of different ways. And then learning how to try to gain the respect of people around you. Uh, I, if I could go back, that would have been the biggest thing I would have coached myself on was racecraft and what it means to earn the respect of your competitors because I just kind of dismissed it and said if you're good enough who cares what the other people think you know but that mm. does honestly mean something because at the end of the day it does make your finishes and your ability to last at the end a lot greater so um 
yeah, it was a real, real crazy turning point for me. And we kind of sucked from 2012, uh, the whole year. And then 2013, we turned it around. I think we got six or seven wins in the late model that year. And then that's when we went into K&N in 2014 and we won some races. And then at that point, you know, it was all moving so fast. It was like, um, it was just all moving so fast. It, I felt like we're on top of the world. But then again, that was another wake up point that, hey, you can go win as many races as you want, but there's still a business side to this. You still have to have yeah. sponsors. You still have to... Um, you still have to have the right network and opportunities. So that was a real wake up point for me too. And then 2015 for sure. Um, those were very formative years for me. So, yeah. So what happens? You, you know, you win that championship and are you, you know, are you thinking, Hey, logically I now just go get a truck ride. Is yeah. that how this works or were, who was kind of, I guess, guiding you at that point? How were you working on sponsorship? Yeah. Our biggest problem was, is that I never had really anybody around us that did this before. It was just me and my dad, my mom, um, my, my parents were the ones that were guiding me, but we didn't know anybody in the sport. We, we weren't friends with anybody. We were pretty much outcasts. Um, so we were just now coming in and, and, and because of that, really, we didn't have anybody that was coaching me on the track, coaching me off the track. We, we got the media down pat cause that's easy. Every, everybody can do media. So, you know, every Joe Schmo has a media company that can teach you the proper things to do. I was also NASCAR next to that point. So I got a lot of coaching from NASCAR on that. So that was always easy. It was the, um, it was on and off the track stuff, networking within the sport, how to make those opportunities. And then also sponsors. Um, we struggled getting sponsors. And as I think everybody does, uh, we really tried to attack it hard, like, you know, I'm from Kentucky. There's a lot of really, really big companies that are based out of where I live. UPS has a hub. We've got Yum Brands. So that's KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. We've got, you know, which is owned by PepsiCo. So there's a whole thing there. Uh, obviously, at the time, I wasn't 21, but there's a ton of bourbon companies. There's Papa John's. There's really a lot of big, really well-known names that are based right there that you could have relationships with, you know, the top brass of those organizations. So but we never were able to make headway. Um, so at that time, it was Alpha Energy Solutions, which was the company my dad started when I was born. Um, and then we just kind of gradually grew the company. But at that point, things were getting way too big for what the company could do. You know, they were basically sponsoring me through the company, like the extra dollars that the company had that were really meant for growth. Uh, it put a strain on them, put a strain on all of us. And that's where the, our relationship between my, myself and my parents kind of turned into a real business one. Because at that point, I was no longer their kid. I was this, I was this athlete that they were sponsoring. Um, so, you know, it became kind of a different relationship for quite some time. Um, and that's hard. And, you know, that's one of those things where if I could go back and do it all again, I certainly would even explore not racing just because of those hardships. You know, the championships make it all worth it, but you still have to remember where you came from and what that was like at that time. Um, obviously, I am who I am now, and I wouldn't change anything for that, but um, there was real considerations by me <laughs> to go a different route, and there still was even up to just a few years ago. Uh, I, even now, I still look at it. I say, you know, if I went down this different route of just being a service technician and um, having opportunities out of the sport to grow your own business. You're showing up every day to the same place. It's 
certainly a more stable job for a wife and family <laughs> than what we're doing here in racing. That's everybody knows how hard that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess jumping back to the career there, you get, um, you know, you do a couple truck starts and then how did you drum up the opportunity to, uh, race in the 88 car, the, uh, you know, Dale Jr.'s ride, you know, sharing it with Harvick and yeah. himself and, and, uh, couple other guys so everybody knows about spire now right spire motorsports they bought kvm they've got their own cup team well back in the day they were just a agency um they were spire spire motorsports management uh you know i forget what their name was <laughs> before spire Something motorsports like yeah it was they were an agency so they were working on sponsorships but the biggest thing they were doing was trying to open up doors for us in the sport you know, they were going around calling on these teams like, hey, we've got this kid here. He just wants the KN championship. He's made a couple arc starts. You know, here's what he's got. Hey, here's the sponsorship that he's got behind him at this point. So they were going around really shopping for us, trying to open up doors, find opportunities, find deals that were funded, and then lay out the path of here's what there is available. Here's what people require at each one. And we were just, okay, we can't do that. We can't do that one. We can't do that. And really, we didn't have anything that we couldn't do a full season anywhere. Um, and we thought, you know, the meetings we had with junior motorsports at the time was more or less like, hey, this is what we got. You know, you guys have the best opportunity. You guys won the championship the year before with Chase Elliott. You're connected to Hendrick Motorsports. You all are the most well-connected, well-represented. You have the ability to bring on sponsors, which was the thought they were going to work on. So the whole philosophy was for down the road. We can only do this once. You know, like we've got the mm -hmm. ability to do this once. We can't even do it full time, but we could go in the car that has the most star power. We could go with the team that has the biggest star power. We could go with the team that was coming off the championship. We could go with the team that's connected to a cup team. We could go with a team that, you know, seems to have all these resources off the track to give us the best opportunity because really we had nothing else behind us. You know, the agencies we were using that were in Kentucky to try to find sponsorship weren't able to find stuff that was big enough to fund the season. So that was the philosophy, but we go into 2015 sharing those 10 races and actually the performance as a team as a whole had significantly decreased that year. Regan Smith was the only one that won, I believe. Nope. Nope. Take that back. Kevin Harvick won in the 88 at Atlanta, which that was old Atlanta. He dominated. He's just, that's yeah. Kevin Harvick. Other than that, it was Regan Smith. He won two races at uh, Dover and somewhere else. But apart from that, the, the season as a whole was fair, fairly illustrious. Like Dale Jr. would get in the car at Charlotte and these other tracks that he was good at, I think. And he's running like 14th. And I would go to all the races and watch too. So I would get in it and I just felt this enormous pressure to go out and perform. But I again, I had no coaching behind me saying just drive what it can give you. You know, Dale Jr. and Casey Kane are running 10 barely in the top 10 you should barely be in the top 10 as well or the expectations yeah. are you're going to be worse than them right well i had nobody really coaching me on that our first race we go out and we finish seventh at iowa speedway but then after that the wheels kind of fall off the performances get harder and harder to do we had some parts breaking we're at Watkins Glen. transmission eventually breaks but i started in the back because a battery dot we had a bad battery in it i think we might have drove a broke a drive plate in practice too so there was issues um and then I started trying to go really, really hard. And then I started making mistakes, which made me look terrible. Um, and the season just, the goal and the initial conversations were, you know, we'll get you here. 
and then let's find the sponsorship for the next season. And we were actually looking at sponsorship to kind of go into that seven car. Um, those were the initial conversations. Now, how true were those? I don't know. That's what we were told. They were looking at uh, Starkist Tuna. Uh, they were looking at all these different companies they had conversations with. And then, of course, Justin Allgaier came on with Brandt. And so it's like, well, that closed that opportunity. So at that point now, I'm out of a, sorry, I'm out of a ride at that point and had nothing really going on. Um, I got a call from Thor Sport Racing in October um, from the gentleman who used to work in this office who did all of their uh, marketing and, and uh, I guess just PR and relations. Uh, he called me and was asking about what I was doing next year. I said, I got nothing. So I came up and met with them and it went well. <laughs> I'm here now eight years later. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So that conversation, was that uh, something akin to the, the junior conversation where it was like, hey, come on, bring a little bit of sponsorship and, and we'll try and work with you and find the rest? Yeah, it was very similar to that. And then also at that point, we were really trying to ramp up what we were doing in Kentucky. Um, we were working with Alpha at the time who had a lot of different, I mean, so the benefit of being a service contractor is you do work with literally everybody. Everybody needs electricity. They need water. They need air conditioning. There's all kinds of different processes that go into factories, you know, process refrigeration, different stuff like that. All these restaurants need their freezer serviced. Um, so they work with everybody. And we were doing a lot on that side to work with businesses uh, to try to find, you know, get in touch with these marketing uh, companies that either represented them or their in-house marketing, you know, officers. And there was a lot of opportunity that came through that, but things eventually, again, started slowing down. Um, so, yeah, it was very much the same process of let's let's try to figure it out. We're going to go a year here, but we don't really have everything we need to make it happen. Um, you know, so Thor Sport was doing what they could on their side with their sponsors to try to keep us going. We were doing what we could on the other side to find people. So we brought on Texas Roadhouse. We had... Uh, XPO Logistics, we had uh, Regal Cinemas, we had a few different, you know, successes that year, but still just really, really hard. Mm. Um, then the following year, we were with Toyota and we had Safe Light on the truck, which was some, but still not enough. Uh, and then at that point in 2018, it's like, all right, we pretty much hit a wall. Uh, and that was that was at, 20, at the end of 2017, we hit a wall, actually. I called Duke and Rhonda and said, hey, you know, I don't have anything left at this point. The sponsorship's done. We don't have anything back at Alpha we can do. Like, we've just, we've exhausted every resource at this point. There's nothing left. So, um, and that's just kind of where we left it. They cut all my seat rails out of the truck. They packaged everything up. They went and got all my equipment out of the hauler, packaged it all up. And I was going to go up there when I got there. At that point, I, at that point, I was busy enrolling myself in HVAC school. I was going to be a technician. So I enrolled in Sullivan University uh, for an associate's degree uh, and, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, HVAC, I guess. And I was getting all my certifications, my OSHA 10-hour, my 20-hour, uh, 134A, R410A. I was doing all of this stuff, uh, or R410. I, I was doing all this stuff to try to go through the motions to get myself to set up for apprenticeship and, you know, go on the road and be, be a technician. So... Uh, about two or three weeks later, after I'd already enrolled in school and I started kind of going out on the job, Duke calls me 
It's like, I think the quote was like, Ben's got a race. So it was something to that effect. And he's like, you know, we'll, we'll find the sponsorship. Um, we're going to find the sponsorship. Just go back to the drawing board here. See if there's anything else that you guys can do. Uh, I can't do the full year, but see if there's anything that you guys can find. And we found a, enough to kind of get us going. And then luckily Duke and Rondo were like, you know, they found the rest for the rest of the season. Um, and then since then I've been kind of like the, the house car. They've been finding different sponsorships year over year to help keep them racing. Obviously now we've got Kubota, we've got campers in, we've got farm paint, we've got tender, we got all these different sponsors that make it happen, but it was really rough for a while. So I, I enrolled in school. So all of 2018 and 2019, while I was racing, I was still going through school because I still wasn't hundred percent certain that I'm going to be racing. Right. Like right. it was, so I was still going to school. I was doing night classes. Uh, so I would do like Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, I'd be at the shop like Thursday, Fridays, which is like five or six hours up the road for me. We'd go to racing on, you know, Thursday, Fridays, Saturday, Sundays, I was trying to balance everything I could. So I'd have like three hours night classes, like Monday through Wednesday. Um, and I learned a lot. I, I loved it. And, you know, it was pretty much a real opportunity for me at that point to become a career. I had my dad who'd done it his whole life. So I had teaching all the teaching and expertise I could have wanted, yet all the contacts I could have wanted, it just made a natural sense for me to go that way. But um, luckily racing's worked out, here I am. Or right now I'd be on a rooftop somewhere working on a unit, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, either way, it's all good. Were you, were you uh, I guess when everything kind of ran out, were you, um, did you come to terms with, with that or were you, you know, upset that, that you guys couldn't make it happen at that point like how did I think I'd seen the writing on the wall for a long time actually so I was pretty distraught by it I also felt really behind the eight ball like I'm hmm. I had a whole plan for my life right like by 18 I wanted to be the youngest I need to be the youngest most popular driver rookie of the year cup champion you know like I was, I was doing it in my own head. Uh, and at that point I already felt behind the eight ball. Like we had, um, let's see, I was, uh, 2015, I was 18, 2016, I was 19, 2017. I was, uh, well, I guess I would have been 20 at that point. Um, so yeah, I was behind the eight ball for sure. I always pictured if I was going to do one thing or another, I was going to work hard at it and I was going to make sure I was what I felt would be ahead in life. So if I wasn't racing, I would have done this HVAC school stuff when I was like 15 or 16 and then, right. you know, 14, 15, 16, I would have been learning all of this instead of learning racing. And I would have been going out and working as young as legally possible so that by the time I'm 18, you know, and legally able to be an apprentice, I mean, I got all the experience in the world, you know, I'd, I'd be basically a journeyman by that point, but no, that's not the route that I went down. I went down the racing route. So at age 14, I'm living in North Carolina during the summers for three months while I'm out of school and working the shop every day. Um, you know, and that was from basically age 14, my entire high school, you know, I never went to one high school game. I never played any sports. I never did anything. I really had no friends in high school. I had one friend and I had my wife, you know, so I, I had no friends. I didn't do anything. I never went to a party. I never, so I was very unsocial with anybody my age. The only people I socialized with were the people in the shop, people working on race cars. So, you know, at that point, the most distressing thing for me was like, I had sacrificed all of this time, all of this effort in my life and all of these 
you know, best years of your life in high school, doing all these things, finding yeah, yeah. who you are, whatever, all that bull crap. Uh, I, uh, I had gone through all of that sacrifice and all for nothing. And I was distraught about that. And then not knowing what the future holds. And, you know, I'm 20 now. I'm a young man. I should be, you know, I'm by my own accord. I should be getting out of my parents' house and, you know, starting my own life. And I'm not doing that. I'm sleeping on other people's couches or in their spare bedrooms in North Carolina, you know, not seeing my family or my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now for three or four months. Um, you know, and I was doing all of this and it's like, off or not, you know? So it was right. pretty distressing. Um, and I really wasn't prepared to make that transition going from what I know and what I absolutely loved that I didn't consider a job to now here's a real job, you know, 7am you got to show up and you're on a job site every day and it's freezing cold, no matter it's rain, snow, ice, whatever you're working. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a big, uh, distressing point in my life. Yeah. I was at a low for point sure. for sure. Right. So now you, you know, you come out of that and you're, you know, in your words, the, the house car, uh, it's not all on you to find money. Um, I guess, how do you conceptualize your career going forward? Do you look at someone like Matt Crafton and say, Hey man, I like, I'm totally content racing the trucks forever. Or are you looking at it like, um, you know, it's cup or bust or I want to make, you know, a good living at whatever level it is. Yeah. So, well, it's funny when I was little, I always told everybody I wanted to be a NASCAR driver. That was the original goal. I'm a NASCAR driver. Like I had yeah. to remind myself that I met that goal 20 years ago as a kid. We're here. We're a NASCAR driver. We've won two truck championships, a NASCAR, a NASCAR Cannonese championship. Like I remind myself I met that goal. It's really easy for people to get fixated on cup. You know, mm. it's like oh, Formula One's coming in t into the U.S. and they're going and racing Las Vegas and they're like, oh, the best drivers in the world. I don't know about you, but I also don't believe that. I think if you're a race car driver, you know, that's hype and that's media. And yeah, they're the best race car drivers in their series because they're the, yeah. they're the ones in their series. There's a lot of really, really badass drivers that race short tracks around the world that never got an opportunity because they didn't have the network or the funding or whatever, you know, that can be said about anybody. So I am, um, I'm very loyal. I'm very grateful. I, I know what the struggle was to get here, the sacrifice to get here. And I know what I should be doing right now, which is being on rooftops, working on units because that's, yeah. or I should be because I, I couldn't get it all together. And, you know, if it wasn't for Duke calling me at the end of 2017, 2018 saying, well, we're going to figure this out together, you know, come race for us. We're going to figure this out together. Then I wouldn't be racing. So I'm extremely grateful for that. I wouldn't be racing. The very next year in 2018, I won my home racetrack, Kentucky Speedway, which was like, you know, that was, oh, it's like I went from the lowest to lowest to the highest of highs. It didn't matter what I did after that. It was, I won at my home track in front of my hometown crowd. It was amazing. It was the Super Bowl for me. So I, everything turned around really quickly at that point for me, winning that race. Um, so I, I guess I'm very loyal. I have no aspirations right now to go anywhere I, i'm enjoying myself in trucks i've got great people around me you know and, and i think the spirit of today this world we live in is more and more and more greed 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 you know more fame more money more whatever 
and nobody can be content or be grateful for what they have, especially the opportunities that you have in your own life. And these are the opportunities that I have, and I'm loyal for that. I'm grateful for that. So, um, you know, and with the truck series, I can still live at home, meaning I can still live in Louisville, Kentucky. My family is right down the street. My wife's family is down the street. All my relatives are there, my brother and my sister. Um, I don't have to relocate to North Carolina. I don't have to relocate to Sandusky, Ohio. I just come here every two to three weeks. Um, I, I've got 23 races on the schedule. I wish there was more. I'll say that. I wish I was racing more, but that's part of it. So I get a fair amount of time at home, especially having a family now. And, you know, I think we work a lot harder than cup guys. I will say that, especially our mechanics in the shop. Uh, I have to travel so much more. I have to fly commercial everywhere I go, which means I'm gone for longer spans of time. I go to Charlotte almost every, which was pretty much every Monday for like 14 or 15 weeks, you know. I don't get to go down the road to the race shop. I drive six hours to get to the race shop and I'm here for three days. So I'm gone from the family for that. But all in all though, I'm still racing for a living and yeah, I love it. So everybody wants to say you could be a trucker or a truck lifer. Well, what's wrong, what's yeah. wrong with that? So I'm not saying that's what I'm doing or that's what the goal is or any of that. I'm not saying one way or the other, but for somebody to try to say, oh, you're an Xfinity series lifer, you're a truck series lifer, they all think that you have to be in the cup series to be successful. And it's like, it's really hard to win a, a truck series race. It's really hard to win Xfinity series race. So, you know, trying to belittle those other series, I don't think is the way to go about it. No, for sure. For sure. I, I, I completely agree. Do you, um, do you do like with, with, I guess, you know, relatively speaking, not compared to us, but to the cup series, uh, with so much downtime, do you do a lot of extracurricular stuff? Do you do a lot of sim work? Do you do a lot of, you know, working out hot, cold, all a bunch of stuff like that? So no, actually, cause I'm, it, yeah, it would seem that we have a lot of extra time and we really don't. So like, let me take you through a normal, like a normal week here. So let's say we raced on Saturday. Okay. Well, I, if it's early enough, I'm flying out that night. If not, I'm flying out Sunday. I get home. Well, I'm home for a night, Monday or either Tuesday. I'm back in Charlotte. That's a day trip. And then typically I'm Wednesday through Friday in Sandusky, Ohio. If we're not racing that week, if we're racing that week, I'm home for two days typically. And then I'm back out to the next race. Then I'm back to the sim the next Monday or Tuesday because I'm home for a day. And then if we have an off week, then I'm back in Sandusky because I go to Sandusky about every two weeks. So, but between those two weeks, I have two sim sessions, which is Charlotte day trips and potentially one race or two races. So I'm gone a lot um, during the season. And that makes it pretty tough. Um, that makes it really tough. So now when I'm home, I try to spend as much time as possible with my kids. So, you know, we, we structure the days out where daddy's playing with him the whole time. Uh, I get home and I, I handle what I can between mowing grass and doing all the chores of keeping a household up and paying the bills and all that different stuff. But for the most part, I try to spend as much time as I can with my kid. I'm trying to consolidate a bunch in my life. Um, we are looking to build a house this year and kind of get onto a property that's conducive to raising children. Uh, wow. On that property, though, it's big enough to have a, this is my crazy idea. I'm just going to say it. So don't hold me to it. My wife says no. My whole family says no. But I've got my pilot's license. I haven't been able to exercise that in a while because it's pretty expensive to fly. But the property we're at has a big enough field that I could manicure it out and make it a really nice grass strip. 
So I could wake up and I found this airplane that's an experimental home-built aircraft. And oh it sounds worse than it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It sounds worse than it is, but that airplane I can leave from my front door and I can be in Sandusky, Ohio in two and a half to three hours. So I could be there in half the time. One, one way up there is equivalent to there and back. Now, if I could do that, yep. that would consolidate a lot of time. I would have a home gym at that point. I would have, I would have place to store an RV because we were having our RV uh, two hours round trip stored away from where we live. Like there was just so much going on. We couldn't manage it. And then along with that, we have a ceiling and paving business that I went out on a limb on with my dad, uh, which I've got to say is terrible for me because he's been completely running it now because it's been so busy. You know, when yeah. we did this, it was during COVID and things were shut down and I needed to, to do stuff. And we went out and started paving and ceiling and, Oh yeah. So there's not enough time in the day for old Ben Ben. Um, yeah, I hear you. If I can get, if I can consolidate my life to that property and then do the airplane deal, that'll free up a lot of time. And then by that point, I want to implement like a morning routine where I can start working out at the house, hot, cold stuff, like you said, eating better. Uh, but right now I feel like I'm hanging on for dear life, life, mm. life, is going and I'm just hanging on. <laughs> That's good. That keeps it exciting though. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to have a, a, you know, a mundane existence. That's for sure. Yeah. It's anything but mundane right now. That's for darn sure. So are you, uh, do you think, cause you're back to Charlotte a bunch for the SIM. Is that like a requirement from the team? Is that your own doing? Are you guys pulling setup stuff from there? Like how important do you think that is? Um, well, we're back with board in 2023. So it was a new, new SIM for us in the meaning we hadn't been on their SIM in three, you know, three years. So two or three years. So we were working on developing, uh, how everything would interface with us. Since then we've got new trucks, new parts, Romer arms, you know, new engineering folks, their programs have been updated. And then what do we need to kind of integrate all of that and then work on developing it for ourselves? And what I mean by that is how are we going to make sure that everything is correlating properly, that the truck's driving right, and that what we are learning on the simulator is correlating to real life. If this track bar and this, this wedge number and this sway bar and these springs are good on the simulator, how do we make sure that's good for real life? So yeah, we put a lot of effort into it this year. A lot of that was coming from the team, but also from me, I, I'm not ever going to complain to go try to make ourselves better. You know, if I've got to spend an entire day out of my life leaving at four in the morning and getting back at nine at night to go run two hours on the simulator, well, I'm going to go do that because I'm the one that lives in Kentucky, you know, so not where everything else is at. So we did it and we went a lot and we were just trying to make sure that we were trying to make sure that we were putting our best foot forward every single weekend, that we were putting every opportunity to good use to make sure that we're going to be fast. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I get, you know, uh, guys on the podcast, I get so many mixed reviews on, uh, the SIM is shit or, yeah. you know, I live and die by it. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's everyone kind of falls into their own position on it. I'm kind of the old, uh, I'm the old young guy now at this point, like I'm 26, but I've been in the trucks now for so long that I hate simulation. I hate everything about it. I wish it didn't exist. 
but you're also talking to a guy that says that about social media and the internet too, because I think the internet and social media has done nothing to help the world. I think it's made us all worse. Uh, but that's, that's another topic. I digress. We'll go back to the simulation here. It's taken away real experience and time in the race truck. It's taken away the opportunity for practice on race weekends. Oh, you got simulation. You don't need real practice. You got 15 minutes. Awesome. You don't have yeah. testing sessions anymore. Cool. Yeah. We're going to rely on the computer. So I hate it. I hate driving it. In fact, if I picture hell as being strapped in a simulator <laughs> and having to drive and give accurate feedback for <laughs> hours on end. Okay. I did a stint once where I did eight hours in the sim. Yeah. Eight hours. It was this year, beginning of this year, I did eight hours and I never got out once. So that's a lot. I hate that's simulation. A lot. I hate it. Yeah. passion fair enough but we so you don't because uh, we try to get better so here we are it's modern nascar it's the world i live in it's the way it goes so you're not eye racing when you go home for those two precious days oh hell no <laughs> hell no yeah no that's the last thing you'll catch me doing actually look nothing against eye racing i like eye racing but we do enough simulation now with ford performance and with nascar and i'm here there everywhere that yeah, I'm not going to be on iRacing. I'm going to try to go spend time with my family at this point. So, yeah, you won't find me doing iRacing right now. Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. What uh, What are you, like, outside of racing, you've got a little bit of time off, I guess. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But what are you kind of into right now? Uh, any other activities? Um, I, I assume you don't hunt. It's hunting yeah. season right now. Yeah, I don't. And that's the shame is we've got that property, which would be really good for hunting. Um I've got a pilot buddy who called me, you know, talking about the championship and stuff. He's like, I asked him what he's up to. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to get this hunting property. It's just not really working out. I got to find somewhere to hunt. I'm like, well, I know the perfect place. I've never done it. You're like an expert. So here's the deal. You can come hunt with me on a property that has never been hunted on in the last four years since we've had it. And the story goes, you have to let me, you know, shoot something and then teach me how to clean it because I don't know how to do that. The shooting I've got now bow hunting, that's a different story. I can't bow hunt, but the shooting I've got, you know, that's like our favorite pastime is to go out to the range and, and shoot. Um, but yeah, I've never hunted. I just never got into it. Uh, but right now on that same property, I've been cleaning it up for three years. We've got an old barn on it. That's pre 1880. So I don't even know what year it is. Uh, I've been cool. pulling all out, all the beams, somebody on that farm, 150, probably plus years ago, you know, chopped down the trees and hand hewed those trees to make these beams. So I took the care to pull those all out. I'm going to try to sell them or find a buyer that appreciates them. Uh, got rid of the other buildings. We're putting an electric in across property. We put in a bridge. We're doing all these things to try to make it better. I've been doing it for three years. So this winter I'm back at it again bush hogging and disking a field and I'm planting 5,300 trees in the spring. We just cleared out two acres worth of trees. Uh, it, it's been a mess. So that's where you'll find me. Right on, right on. You're, um, I don't want to say uniquely, but maybe a uniquely articulate guy for uh, the NASCAR kind of <laughs> world. Where do you where did you get that from? You, you know, you didn't go to college or you're not an English major. Do you do a lot of reading, listening? 
So you mean like articulate, not so much an accent, but um, clearly like... No, not so much an yeah, accent. Yeah. I'm the one with the accent. Yeah, really? I think I've got a bad <laughs> accent, actually. Um, so you mean just the way using words, I guess, eh? Yeah. Okay. Um, you don't, you don't, you don't just pick up, you, you pick up big words from reading. Yeah. I enjoy reading actually. And I used to not to, I hated reading. I've read quite, quite a few books in my lifetime now. Um, but I hated doing it. A lot of it was forced on me at school, but I'm actually super mm. appreciative of that now that I've gotten older. I found it to be immensely, you know, helpful in kind of forming my worldview. Uh, and it's, uh, as a teenager, you hated it. But I took a lot away from that. I had one English teacher that uh, put a lot of really hard books on us. Um, I don't think any of my classmates read them. I think they just kind of fudged their way through all of it. But I read all of them. <laughs> and I actually, I look back on it and I loved it. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing for my kids is make them read all those books. I think they're immensely helpful for forming a good worldview and understanding just how life operates. Uh, I try to read a little bit every night now. Um, so, yeah, I've. I enjoy it. I think it's helpful. In fact, if I start reading too much of like one author, I, I kind of start picking up their flair of talking, which is not good. Uh, probably not good. Like the big one I was reading this year actually was, uh, and I was reading it a lot, was uh, the uh, Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor mm. Dostoevsky. I can't say his name, but Dostoevsky, yeah, yeah, whatever. 18, yeah. 70s author, 60s, 80s author of Russia. And, uh, he uses real now. He didn't write. I mean, he wrote them, but they're translated, right? Yeah. English, and they use some massive words. It's like every page I'm googling what these words mean. So I find it helpful. I mean, I don't want to be a dummy, you know. Yeah. No, for sure. I I uh, I'm halfway through that one. I kind of gave up. I got a little confused on the names, but I just finished Crime and Punishment this year. Oh, that's awesome. All right, that's on next. That's like next on my reading list. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. I hear that. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. I uh, I appreciate you coming on, and um, I guess uh, I was gonna say tell the people where they can follow you on social media <laughs> or not, or not. <laughs> yeah, uh, social media. I'm I'm at Ben Rhodes basically on everything. I think I think on Facebook I'm at Ben Rhodes Inc. Like Inc. Let's have a gander here. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just at Ben Rhodes on Facebook too. Tells you what I know here. I'm so bad at social media, but I do post stuff. I like, I've got events coming up. I post about my events. I try to post, you know, everything that's going on with me in the racing world. Uh, personally, not the best of that. I try to spend as much time off of it as I can. So I'm guilty of probably neglect uh, to my fans <laughs> in some ways, but they know if they ever meet me in person, we will talk for days, you know, until that's the PR good. people pull me away. I'm just, I'm old school like that. I, I don't like, I, I like conversations. I don't like phones. Yeah, right on. No, that's good. Thanks for coming on. I assume we'll see you in the truck uh, series next year. I hope so. That's the plan right now. Uh, we haven't announced anything, but that is the hope. So hope to be back with good. the same crew, same everything. Very good. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. That's good. Well, we could have gone on forever. I think I got oh, a little long-winded, though. I might have talked. No, nah, it's all good. We'll do it again. Uh, we'll do it again next year. Yeah, we'll I'd talk love about to. books. I'd love to. How is your podcast going, by the way? I I'm guilty again of not being on this very much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Screen is a little cracked. Uh, no, it's it's good. It's good. I took uh, I took some time off this summer. Um, obviously, just I'm like you, work a bunch of different jobs and 
was super busy and uh with the racing and stuff as well so um we're back to it and it's pretty good i think you can um, turn it into really big like with your um expertise in racing your background and then obviously you've got a good look and voice for it so i think that helps a lot oh thanks yeah yeah i want to i want to get a little bit away from like the racing guests are so easy for me right um but to to get more and more you know desperate people in and and uh you know people in the studio yeah if you don't uh expand other fields of expertise with guests it's hard to grow the audience beyond racing i would imagine Right. Yeah, especially, you know, a ma- well, probably 50-50 majority. Uh, yeah, 50-50 Canadian and American audience. Yeah. There's not a big uh, big racing following up here. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day is you'd hope to grow the audience so big that at that point you would just fly your guests in or they'd all be in studio, right? That'd be the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you look at all the big podcasts, that's what they do, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's the problem with some of them too, right? Is some of them stay right on brand, on topic, and you know what they're for. But then like Joe Rogan, right? He's a little bit of everything, but there are still topics he just will not. Like if he's not interested in it, like racing, I don't think he's ever had one racer ever. No, he had Junior on and Danica. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, oh, the two biggest names at the time? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and I think the Junior one was probably more about concussions than. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. That was the hot topic. So. For sure, for sure. Do you, uh, <clears throat> you listen to Jordan Peterson? I do. Um, I've listened to him quite a bit. His, his – I shouldn't say quite a bit. I've only listened to his actual podcast probably three or four times. I get a little bit wore out on different influencers because they are all grifting to some degree. And sure. Sometimes you just get tired of the grift. <laughs> so, yeah. so whatever it is, they're all pushing some sort of narrative. And, you know, I'll go to get my confirmation bias from whatever one I want to hear at some point. Then sometimes they yeah. go down some road I don't agree with. And it's like, okay, that's cool. I'm going to change the channel now. And it's, you know, I, I can agree to disagree. But eventually, you, like they all grift enough that there's certain times I just have to turn everybody off because I just can't handle it. They just all grift so sure. much so sure i guess you can you can continually go back to more and more fundamental texts though right you know till you're at the bible well that's all i listen to anymore actually um and you know people can right or wrong me for that i'm i'm roman catholic uh i just kind of started coming back to my faith here recently which has been like the single greatest thing that's happened in my life um like, so Johnny Sauter's a devout Roman Catholic, and I kind of never kind of really understood him. I was younger, my teens and early 20s, and, you know, I was full worldly view at that point and living it up or trying to make my way in this sport, which is arguably the selfish, most selfish sport in the world, I would say, racing could be. Sure. Uh, and now having a kid and be having a home life, like, it's – that's where I say now if I had to do anything else, I feel like I could pivot I would be dis- I would be upset with not racing, but I could live very easily knowing that I could do something else because I feel like I've got such a good base around me now. But yeah, I that's all I listen to, man. Is basically um, ch- church teachings, uh, different podcasts that have to do with people that are kind of a similar mindset that are faith based, and yeah, I've kind of got away from some of the secular worldview stuff on a certain sense because there's only so much that you can take of all of that. So. 
you either mm-hmm. kind of see it. It's like you're either going down a path that leads to booty shaking and drugs and, you know, non-family values, or you can go down a path that's wholesome with family values. And that's kind of what I'm going down right now, or I prefer to. So I hope I don't fall off that wagon anytime soon. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I've been, I've been slugging away through the old Testament, but yeah, right now. Um, I would wait. Till, are you what? Deuteronomy and Numbers? Because it just gets, it just goes. I can't do that. Those those no. two chapters right there. Those two books wear me out. Yeah, whenever I need something more exciting, I jump to the New Testament. Yeah, so good. That's man. bedtime reading. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I would. I can't recommend though enough of uh, Peterson's um, going through the old testament stories though really they're yeah they're super good he sits down at like a round table with um a bunch of different you know theologians and it is it is dynamite yeah that's the funny part right it's like everybody in the world wants to focus on all of these different topics and the theology is so rich there's thousands of years of tradition and history there and there's so much to think about um it's just funny, like the new age worldview is everything's aliens. We're living in a simulation. You know, there's there's aliens right now running a computer and we're in the computer. And it's just like, where? Like that just came about in the last like 20 years, 30 years since the Matrix was around or something, you know, and it just cracks me up. And instead, you got these thousands of years of history and tradition, which is more or less suppressed on all kinds of levels. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, right on. Well, I'll let you go, man. Um, do you mind if I leave some of that in? I don't know if I will or not. But Yeah, I don't care. I mean, that's what okay. I am. So, you know, if yeah. people don't like it, then it's probably probably is what it is. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, good luck next year, man. All right. Well, and uh, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll just hit I think next week I'll put this out and I'll just share it on social media. Hope you see it there and yeah, give awesome. it a share, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Cool. Take care. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Adios. See you guys next week.